God forbid, we're with Reverend Peter Chapman, minister at the Jeringong Uniting Church, and Father Rod Bauer from the Gosford Anglican Church. Our burning issue is a question. Why are the churches dying? Australia has more churches than schools, but many are empty. Most Australians call themselves Christian, nearly two out of three, but 92% of us do not regularly go to church. Peter Chapman, you said in a speech, we need to be real for people your age and younger... The church is a quaint irrelevancy. Why? I think, sadly, some elements of the church have lost confidence in the gospel, and I think that at its core is the cause of the malaise. If a church has lost confidence in the gospel, what's the point of being a Christian? (laughs) It's a good question, James. Uh, That's exactly the question that I would want to ask Mm. some of my colleagues. A lot of congregations have become cosy religious social clubs. And the moment the church ceases to be missional, the moment the church ceases to be evangelical, if you will, is the moment the church begins to die. But you're also a, a member of the Assembly of Confessing Congregations within the Uniting Church, which is critical of the Uniting Church. Leadership has straying from the path. But in what way? I'll give you an Example. Yep, sure. I'll give you an example. It's become clear that a number of my colleagues in the Uniting Church effectively have to cross their fingers behind their back every time they say the creed. We believe that Jesus was born of a Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died and was buried. On the third day he rose again and he will come again to judge the living and the dead. It's become quite clear that a number of my colleagues don't actually believe a number of those statements. You mean clergy don't believe? Absolutely. And I defend people's right to believe whatever they want as Aussies. It's a free society. You believe whatever you want. What you're not at liberty to do is to just make stuff up as you go and call yourself a Christian and carry on as though nothing has ever happened. I just think that there's an, you've got an integrity issue at that point. Uh, Rod Bauer, do you believe all those things? The creeds? Absolutely, yes. I'd probably want to approach them uh, in a 21st century way. Here we go. Here we go. go. Uh, But absolutely, um, they affirm central tenets to the Christian faith. So what is a 21st century explanation of how Mary gave birth to Jesus even though she was a virgin? Yes, I wouldn't. I wouldn't use the word explanation, but I would use the word. Un- what? What is? What is that doctrine trying to get across? One of the things we have to do with some of those ancient doctrinal statements is really dig down and try and understand what the early church was trying to get us to engage with. And, and the same thing with the doctrine of the bodily resurrection. Uh, line in the sand for a lot of evangelical Christians. You know, do, do you believe that Jesus bodily rose from the dead? My response to that is yes, I do. Uh, But I want to do more than just tick the doctrinal box. I want to try and understand what the early Christians were trying to express when they they put that in their creedal statement. Phew, we can call off that heresy trial now, James. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So Reverend Peter Chapman, Rod Bauer doesn't have his fingers crossed behind his back. What are some other examples of clergy or congregations deviating Well, I mean, the hot topic at the moment is obviously the sexuality debate. I mean, that's the one that has a lot of people talking. The Christian teaching on this one has been well known for 2,000 years, and there are some colleagues now that are wanting to challenge that and to say, well, actually, no, we're going to just ignore those parts of Scripture and carry on as though nothing significant has occurred. I just think there's an integrity problem at that point. But your church, the Uniting Church, not only has gay and lesbian clergy, has gay and lesbian clergy who are married and indeed, in New Zealand at least, married in a uniting church. Uh, and, and hence the reason for the ACC's existence, because at that point you've stepped away from the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church on but that particular pe- issue. these people are your bosses in your church. Oh, well, I'm a uniting church. I don't really have a boss, James. <laughs> well, you've got the, 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 oh, you've got the big one. Absolutely. Rod? 
There is no path that Jesus is not prepared to walk down to, to find us. For me, one of the things we have to understand is the Bible doesn't say anything about homosexuality. Is that true, Peter? Simply because, it's absolutely not true. Simply because the Bible doesn't know what homosexuality is. That's a very recent concept. What the biblical writers, if you want to go to Leviticus, where we always go to, what the writer of Leviticus understands is that everybody is what we would call heterosexual. That is the norm. Then he sees people behaving in a way at variance to that and calls it an abomination. So really what he is saying, or I'm assuming it's a he, <laughs> uh, is saying that is that straight people shouldn't have gay sex. And I'm okay with that. That's that's fine. But he doesn't understand the spectrum of human sexuality. And so we can't just plop this idea into the scriptures and say there, there's the answer. We have to uh, apply our biblical knowledge, certainly. That's the starting point, but also our, our reason. So Reverend Peter Chapman, Rod says we need to look at context. Of course you do. But you don't need to go to Leviticus to, to hear what the Bible says about homosexuality. Romans 1 is clear. He says look at all the Bible in its context. Absolutely, as do I. And, and, and the Bible is clear on this issue every single time. There is no grey area here. The Bible speaks as one. Therefore, on homosexuality is... Is contradictory to God's good plan for humanity. Not that there's a hierarchy of sins and I'm in exactly the same boat as my gay friends. It's simply wanting to have the intellectual integrity and the honesty to say... The scripture is clear on this issue and the ancients knew exactly what they were talking about. Homosexuality is not a new concept. But what about when John said slaves should obey their master? Yeah, absolutely. And, and he also says there's in Christ there is no, neither slave nor free nor male nor female. So, so it's th- because it's 50-50 that we'll call that unknown. There are a number of issues, theologically speaking, where you can mount a solid biblical case for and against. So infant baptism would be one, the ordination of women would be another. On this particular issue, that is not the case. The Bible speaks as one on this issue. Let's hear from a colleague of yours, Peter Chapman, who articulates that point, the National Secretary of the uh, Assembly of Confessing Congregations within the Uniting Church, Reverend Rod James. Have a listen, then we'll get a response. There's a lot of controversy about gender and sexual identity and activities. The traditional view is grounded in the binary definition of humanity expressed in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and affirmed by our Lord Jesus Christ. Today's modernism and neo-paganism are advocating that there is no prior design of manhood and womanhood. Rather, it is argued, people should be free to develop their own sexual and gender identity. This is sometimes called queer theory. At least they got the name right. Reverend Rod James, what do you make of that, Peter Chapman? Oh, look, I think Rod is simply stating the, the facts. We've always believed in the binary nature of gender, Absolutely. man or woman. of course. Okay, then what's your message to the tens of thousands of Australians who were born with male and female genitalia in some form, or the thousands who have neither XY male or XX female chromosomes? It's exactly the same as what it would be to any other Aussie. You're loved, you're welcome, you're uh, fearfully and wonderfully made. Except they're neither male nor female, and you were saying everyone must be female or male. Well, I think in the overwhelming majority of cases it is, and Scripture is clear, and that would be my go-to every single time. For people who who do fit into that grey area, and I'm absolutely prepared to admit for some people 
it's not as clear cut as that? The Bible says gender is binary. You accept because modern science has proved it that it's not. Well, for, for a very small number of people. Yeah, if it's one person, then the Bible has it wrong. Well, I don't think it does have it wrong, no. I mean, the, I don't think it has it wrong. I think the Bible speaks out of a particular philosophy. When you're trying to pit the Bible against science, you're, you're setting up a straw man. They are unnatural enemies. Faith and science ask different questions. Rod? The binary question that, James, that you're putting to Peter, I'm not sure that's what the biblical narrative asks us to do. It's what Reverend Rod James asked us to do. Yes, and I I, I would find that absolutely offensive, really, and and lead you nowhere. If we, we look at the biblical narrative, we want to find in that narrative a place where we can come to a deeper understanding of humanity. That's what that that great Genesis creation stuff is all about. It, it offers us an understanding of the human condition that modern psychology was only just starting to, to delve into. And here we have a, a narrative that, that could be uh, seven or 8,000 years old deep and complex and mysterious, just amazing and wonderful and beautiful. So I wouldn't want to reduce it uh, to those binary conversations, to be honest. Peter, do you find evangelical Christians are leaving the Uniting Church and moving to, say, Baptist or Pentecostal congregations? It's been happening for 30 or 40 years now. I mean, every time I visit another denomination, I run into people who tell me I was part of the Uniting Church. We've been a wonderful sending denomination down through the years. We've blessed a whole lot of our sister churches down through the years. But there's no return to sender address on the back of the envelope. Very seldomly does that occur in my experience. You once said in an article that liberalism is eating away at your church like a cancer. Yeah, that's right. I think it's it's poison, church poison. If you wish to kill off a church as church history has shown, blowing it up or using violence will only make it stronger. Uh, it's been my experience. If you wish to kill off a church, the best way to do that is to inject the, the deadly poison of liberalism. It'll wither on the vine as surely as night follows day. So give me practical examples of what liberalism is. I think it would mean uh, people saying, well, you know, I don't really need Jesus saving grace in my life. I haven't really done anything wrong. I'm quite okay to uh, pursue my lifestyle as I see fit. And that's not the case right across the Uniting Church. I've got a number of colleagues that are doing very, very good things and I'm still proud to be a part of the denomination. But it's not just my denomination. I mean, Rod's is in exactly the same position as are most of the mainline denominations. They are in a spot of bother. Rod, do you agree that accepting gays and lesbians is a, a liberalist cancer? I, no, I certainly don't agree that uh, human sexuality and its wonderful rainbow of variety is a cancer of any description. And an incarnational theology will find a way to hold all that together and recognise it as uh, the spectrum of, of expression of the humanity that Jesus took on. And this is a really important... I don't know the answer to that, uh, but I'm very interested in having that evolving conversation of how we see the fullest expression of human sexuality as a Christian community. Reverend Peter Chapman, you've seen these extraordinary social changes in cultural attitudes, postmodernism, what have you. 
Where do you think we'll be in 100 years in terms of our attitude to homosexuality? Yeah, I just want to clarify, James. I'd certainly never associate any human being with being a cancer. That was certainly not what I'm saying. My point was simply to say that there is clearly a wasting disease happening within the mainline church. I would like to think we we almost have come full circle now. What you're seeing now in churches is the very strongly what we might call evangelical Pentecostal churches. They are the ones that are growing. They are the ones that are strong. They are the ones that have resolutely stuck to Christian orthodoxy. They are the ones, perhaps ironically in the minds of some, that are relevant. It is the ones that that are slowly leaving the core teachings of the Christian faith, they're the ones that are struggling. I, I can't see that changing anytime soon. So in 100 years, you still believe this attitude about homosexuality and its invalidity will persist? Unless you can go back and somehow get the liquid paper out and change scripture, I don't see how it will ever change. I mean, it is built into the, the DNA of the Christian church. Rod? I don't think you have to go back and liquid paper the Bible at all. I think you just have to understand when Paul writes to the church in Rome and uh, says that women have given up their natural inclinations for unnatural. I mean, he's clearly assuming their natural inclination is heterosexual. Some scholars would say, well, part of what's going on there is you have Christian people who are married, men and women, possibly the man's in the army, he's going off to Gaul for five years, he's taking his male slave with him and has sexual satisfaction, he's locking his wife up with a whole heap of other women. After a while, they uh, they do give up what is their natural inclination uh, with a same-sex person. Now, what Paul is possibly saying here, and some scholars will hold this very clearly, is that he's not talking about human sexualities in terms of homosexuality. He's talking about fidelity. And he's saying you cannot be unfaithful to your partner. In the same way that when the Bible condemns divorce, perhaps it's condemning, if read in its context, the abandonment of a defenceless female spouse to poverty and homelessness and starvation. Absolutely. So Paul may well be talking about fidelity, and if that's the case, then I'm 100% on on the page with uh, Romans 1 because uh, I don't think we can read our understanding of human sexuality into that space. So I don't think we have to go back with a white paper at all. I think we have to go back with a a solid scholarly inquiry into the context of the writing. RN, it's God forbid.